morning, church. So this morning's scripture reading is going to come out of Romans, looking at Romans 12, 1 through 8 of the um, English Standard Version. And so it reads, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, And the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches, we considered that last Sunday. When Jesus said that to them, we have to confess Uh, Many of us were either born in the city or the suburbs or have experiences in urban or suburban contexts. So when Jesus uses the language of vines and branches, it's a bit culturally removed if you've never worked with a vine, if you've never tended branches. But when the Apostle Paul said that the church, that the people of God are like a body, that connects, that's a bit more relevant to you, isn't it? For Paul to compare the church to a human body, we can relate to that a bit more easily, I think, especially when we consider modern science, uh, contemporary medicine. To compare the people of God to a human organism, that gives me all sorts of cultural insights and and connections uh, that I hope I can appeal to you. Here's just one. Uh, Here's a term, a medical term that I've become familiar with. Hepatic encephalopathy. Okay, so your liver, right? This is not an organ that you normally get to see. Your liver is this unseen, unglamorous part of your body. But your liver has this really important function. It's a vital thing. Your liver filters toxins out of your blood, like ammonia. Unless it's not functioning well, and then it can't do that. And what happens when toxins start circulating up to your brain, now some of you medical professionals can correct me on this, but I think I, think I get it, it's something like this. When those toxins, not being filtered, start circulating up to your brain and begin to collect there, they incapacitate the ability of your brain to do what it is supposed to do. And so some side effects of hepatic encephalopathy are something, uh, some things like this. Um, You're confused. You begin to forget things. You experience overall physical sluggishness. 
this condition even affects your mood and your natural temperament. Those are just to mention a few side effects. And here's the reason I bring up hepatic encephalopathy. Because an unseen, unglamorous organ of your body, if it cannot function well and do its part in its system, it can affect your brain to do its job in managing well the other organs and entire systems of your body. Organisms can't function well or at all, right? If, 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 if each part, if each organ, if each system is not playing its part, its designed role for the body. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Rome, uh, which was a diverse, there were Jews and Gentiles there, it was a diverse group of people, what he was saying to the church in Rome was exactly that. The church is healthy and whole when every disciple contributes to the health of the whole. And as we unpack Romans 12, the first eight verses, I want to talk to you about comprehending what makes you healthy as a Christian, if you're a Christian. I also want to talk about embracing what makes you healthy and then finally rejoicing in it. If you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. You're, you're getting an inside look on what it means to live a true Christian life today. Comprehending and embracing and finally rejoicing in what makes you, what makes us healthy. Comprehending or understanding what makes us healthy is critical for our growth as individuals, And as a church body, Paul's opening verses here um, really mark an important point in his letter. In, In every one of Paul's letters, there was some transition from doctrine to practice. Paul would spend half of his letter talking about what makes Christianity so great and what makes you a Christian and what that really means. For your identity. And then he makes a transition in his letter. In the second half of his letters, he starts talking about practice. If, since all of that is true and great, how should it change your life? Why does it matter for you? And why does it matter for the world? Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, is that transition point where Paul moves from talking about doctrine to talking about practice. And this is what he says. I appeal to you, therefore. The therefore is referring to... If you're familiar with Romans, the first 11 chapters. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers means brothers and sisters to the ancients, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, here's the doctrine of the book of Romans. And if you haven't read Romans, here's a like five to six to seven. Here's a one sentence synopsis of Romans. God gives his righteousness as a gift to all who trust in Jesus as their righteousness. This is a gift. All who trust in Jesus by faith receive by faith the gift of God's righteousness. And Paul has been talking about that beautiful doctrine for 11 chapters. Now, here's the practice that he brings up, starting in verses 1 and 2. 
a holistically transformed life is your response to God's gift of grace. You believe that Jesus is your righteousness, that you can't earn it by yourself or by your good behavior, your works. You believe that God gives you his righteousness when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Good. Now live a holistically transformed life. Body and mind characterized by a renewed mind. And that's what he's saying here in verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, I find this really interesting. The first practical expression of this renewed way of thinking, this renewed understanding that, that the Christian has, the first practical expression of it that Paul offers is social awareness. He didn't say scripture memorization. He didn't say reading the Westminster Catechism and memorizing it. He didn't say listening to a sermon on your phone once a day, uh, every day of the week. He's talking about social awareness. Look at verse 3. I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul is saying, here's the first example of a changed mind. If Christianity has changed you, here's the first thing that I, Paul, want you to be aware of. Don't overestimate yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself, but think rightly about yourself. Estimate yourself properly, soberly. That's the first thing Paul says we should be thinking about as Christians. Don't overthink yourself. Think rightly about yourself. Now, according to what? Think about yourself, not too highly, but in the right way, soberly, according to what? Well, it says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's interesting. Is is Paul saying that God gives to every person a different level of faith? Like, I have a lot of faith, but you have even more faith, and you have just a little bit of faith. Well, if you read Romans chapter 1 through 11, there's no way Paul could mean that. The gift of God is by his grace, not by our effort. The gift of God to have faith is a Gift, not something that we work for, but something that we receive. So how can, how can we have levels of faith? I don't think that's possible at all. Actually, uh, Paul's point here is that we have an equal status. Look, judge yourselves with sober judgment, not too highly, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What kind of faith has God assigned to all of us? The same amount. You, you, you can't believe more that Jesus is your righteousness. You can't have more faith that allows... You either believe that Jesus is your righteousness or you don't. It's not that God says, well, finally you have enough faith. You're a Christian. You have enough faith now, so you're saved. That's not, that's not Paul's point. The standard that allows us to judge rightly about ourselves is the fact that God has given the gift of faith to each of us. That levels the playing field. That's how we don't think too highly of ourselves because we realize we've all been given in Christ the same gift. 
That's Paul's, that's Paul's point. Sinners saved by grace is our equal status. And if you go back to Romans chapter 3, I'll show you that's exactly what he's been saying all along. For all have sinned. Now, you've heard this passage before. He's talking about Christians, Jews and Gentiles. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This concept that God gives without prejudice or distinction, the same gift of faith to all who are willing to trust in his son, that helps you not think too highly of yourself, is what Paul is saying. And this is wonderful insight. This is really a great priority for Paul to bring this up. Because I think he understood that what comes along with diversity, and we are a diverse group of people, we all have different experiences and strengths and skills and spiritual gifts, that God gives to us to help the whole, okay? What comes along with diversity is a, is, a, is a temptation to start drawing comparisons. And as we start drawing comparisons with who has what strength and who has what experience and who has what degree and who has what spiritual gift, when we start drawing comparisons based on our diversity, it's easy to become prideful about what you have that somebody else doesn't. And it's easy to feel ashamed and less of a Christian or less of a person when you don't have or can't offer what you see someone else offering. So the only way, frankly, the only way to even begin to grow healthy is for all of us to comprehend that God has given us equal status in Christ. Sinners saved by his grace. That's where Paul says we begin. That's how we begin to think in the right way. Now, I want to ask you a question. I'm curious. How does this new way of thinking, this idea of having equal status because of the gift of God's grace, equal status in Christ, how does that way of thinking change your perspective on what you can offer other people? in a setting like this in the church, not just on a Sunday, but as a group of people, as a faith community. How does equal status in Christ change your perspective on what you can bring to the table? What do you think? Yeah. Okay, so those who are maybe, if you're tempted to feel very prideful or arrogant about your, maybe you have a very visible ability or... uh, very pronounced way of of helping or serving. You can be prideful. It kind of humbles you. And if you're discouraged or you're afraid of serving, this encourages you. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It takes the pressure off. Yeah. I just felt better when you even said that. What else? If this is true, that, that all Christians, anyone who trusts Jesus has an equal status by the grace of God, how does that change your perspective when you think about serving others? Yeah. Oh, let's start here. Yeah. Huh. If you leave yourself open to what everyone contributes, it, 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 it allows you to... to collaborate with others, regardless of their age or their perspective. Great. So it encourages collaboration. 
Excellent. Yeah. So no role is too small. They are all vital. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it puts an onus on every person to be a part of Christ's operation. Yeah. I'm just trying to imagine. I know that our organs and systems don't have the capacity for rational thought. <laughs> uh, but if the liver decided, hey, I'm, cu- I'm taking a vacation, that, that kind of affects everything, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? Yeah, I know this is a more, more esoteric, complex question than the one I asked you last week, so less people are raising their hands. That's okay. We're getting somewhere. Any other thoughts? How does equal status in Christ change your perspective when you think about how you can be helpful to other people? Keep thinking. Oh, one more. Yeah. It takes, away, it takes away or should take away the desire to serve in a more glamorous way um, or, or be in the most desired uh, vein of ministry or service. I mean, we can take good things. You've seen this. We, you can take good things and make them cool and make them popular and make them in and trendy so that now people are doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and, and this, this helps us... Uh, put a check on that and give that some balance. Would you say that? Okay, thanks. Good thoughts, everybody. Comprehending what makes us the same, God's grace offered to us as a gift by faith in Jesus. Comprehending what makes us the same helps us embrace what makes us different. Paul went on to say in verses four and five, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the body is, think of the human body, Paul is saying, the body is one but can only function as one by a multiplicity of systems and organs all performing their unique roles for the good of the whole. And as each system performs well, the body can perform as it's designed to. Design, intentionality. That's really important. Do you realize that each one of you has been designed by God for the good of other people? We don't often think that way as Americans. What do I like to do? How can I make more money? What kind of college do I need to go to? What should I be studying? What kind of job should I have? We start just thinking that way 10 years, 20 years, 25 years of our lives. But do you realize that the creator has designed you specifically to play a part in a bigger whole? Yes, in society, yes, in culture, yes, in your neighborhood, yes, in your family. But Paul's talking about the church, the people of God. They're like a body where everybody has been designed by God to play a certain part. And without you, the body can't function truly as it's been designed. We can't fully be a healthy body without you. Paul went on to say in verse 6, having gifts, he keeps, he keeps talking, he keeps going on with the thought, having gifts that differ 
according to the grace given to us, let us use... He goes back to that sense of commonality, common faith, common grace. According to the grace that has been given to us, let us each use the gifts that are different. And he mentions just some. This is not... Uh, These are not all of the spiritual gifts that God gives his people to bless one another. But he mentions some prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation. That means to encourage other people. Generosity, leadership, mercy, he mentions also. Here's just some examples. And you go to other places in the New Testament, and he mentions other examples as well. But every Christian... And some of you have alluded to this in your comments. Every Christian, great or small, up front or behind the scenes, everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something to offer. There isn't a useless person. No one's a mistake. No one just happens to be here. God's given everybody something. A passage that that I like to apply to myself when I, when I think of taking my own ministry or my own place or role in God's church seriously is what Paul says to the, the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1. Him, meaning Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And I, and I think for myself, if Paul felt that way, that, that, that his, his, his role in the church was to struggle and to work with all the energy that God gives him, to do what God had called him to do for the benefit of the church, man, then I should think that way too. What if, what if I thought this way, that, that I toil and work and struggle with all the power of God that he is using within me to make others mature in their faith? And what if you thought that way too? Even if what you do is teaching Sunday school or stacking chairs, or as Rick said earlier, praying. Some of you were praying for me this morning because you knew I wasn't feeling well, and I asked you to pray for me. And most of you will never know who those people are who I texted at a ridiculously early hour of the morning and said, pray for me, I need it today. But God knows who they are. And they played their part. So everybody, seen and unseen, what you think is a big role and what you think is such a small role that it often goes unnoticed. Everybody working, struggling with all God's energy that powerfully works within you. A culture of service is what we really hope God will cultivate here at Deep Run Church. Now, as, as Carrie and Rachel said earlier, we, we as a church haven't existed for a long time. It's only been a few years. But one of the things we've talked about, uh, those who were here from the very beginning and, and our advisory team that helps me think through issues, one of our desires for this church is we would have a culture of service where people coming in, once they feel that this church, this particular expression of the church in the world, right here in Westminster, Maryland, once people feel that, that this is their church home, they are eager to participate. They are eager to help, to serve, to give, to pray, practically, in, in some way, 
even if it's unseen, even if most people don't see it and don't know about it, um, that everybody, once they feel this is their church home, will, will be compelled by the kindness of God and a love for God's people to say, how can I help? How can I be a part of the health of the overall body? And I started looking at the printed worship order, just, just at these names of the people who have, have openly up front served us today. Uh, and I realized something really neat. Steve and Chrissy uh, were, were part of this ministry bef- when it was still just a concept, when it was still just an idea. Um, uh, but Graham and Carrie and Rachel, uh, they came later. But you know now, considering our lifespan, they're already veterans. And some folks like Rick and Dejan have just been with us this year, even just a handful of months. And they're serving too. And many people are serving in ways uh, that only God knows. Or that only a few people know. But they're serving nonetheless. And, and our hope is that we won't be one of those churches. I, I, some of you have been around for a long time. And, and I know it's easy to think pessimistically. I, I understand. And cynically. We want to be a church where it's not the 80-20 dynamic. If, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've heard people say this, 20% of people in the church do 80% of the work. By God's grace, we want to push against that assumption. We, we want to see people say, this is my church home. These people love me. I still don't even know what it means to be a Christian, but I want to be a part of what's happening here. We want to, we want to have a culture uh, where people think that way. Again, Paul, here's another parallel passage on the idea of the church as a human body. Uh, Paul gives it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Check it out this week. God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body. See, this was God's intention, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So embrace the unique way that God has designed you to function within his body. Embrace it. You don't know what it is yet? Fine, let's talk. We'll figure it out because everybody has a spiritual gift who is in Christ. God has given you something that when you use it, when you employ it, when you function and act in that way, it helps the people around you grow in their faith. That's what a spiritual gift is. And if you don't know what yours is, let's talk. I'm going to embarrass him, but Ed Spiva is all about helping people discover what their spiritual gifts are. Talk to Ed about it. It's very informal and organic. No pun pun intended. No pun intended. It's very informal and organic right now. As we grow as a church, will will discovering spiritual gifts be more formalized? Probably. Yeah, because you get bigger and you need more organization. Bottom line is, God has given you, in Christ, a way to make his church healthy. If you know what that is, we're going to encourage you to serve and worship and live in that way. If you don't know what it is, if you don't have a clue, let's talk and we'll help you figure that out. And when I look at this room, I see brains and hearts and veins and arteries and hands and feet and livers and spleens and colons. Who wants to be the colon? (laughs) Some hands went up. Okay, we'll talk to you about that. 
Speaking of colons, I want to talk to you about cancerous tumors. Because Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he describes a ludicrous scenario. Listen to this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. As he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now he says the reverse. Listen to this. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. So we can't all be the same part. We can't all have the same function. That would be ludicrous. I hope you see that. Right? A bunch of eyes, a bunch of feet, a bunch of colons. Frightening, actually. And, and, and that's the point of a crazy monster. Think of a horror movie or, or one of your nightmares when you were a kid. We are petrified of things with three heads and six arms. Paul is saying it's, it's ridiculous. It's frightening to think that a body would just be composed of several members who just do the same thing and only appreciate one thing and one type of role and one type of ministry and look down on those who can't offer that specific role or, or, or function in that particular way. That's Paul's point as he talks about this. Now, back to cancer. I looked this up. According to uh, the National Institute of Health and the National Cancer Institute, this is how they describe, in a nutshell, what, what a cancerous tumor is. Abnormal cells divide without control and can invade nearby tissues. And they go on to say that cancer can also spread to other parts of the body through the blood and through the lymphatic system. Back to what Paul said in in verse 3. We can think too highly of ourselves. We can overestimate our value to the people around us and our position and our ability and intelligence and education and background and ethnicity. We can overestimate ourselves and end up serving our own purposes. I serve my own purpose. You serving your own purpose. And when that mentality spreads, it's like a cancer. It's, it's when one tumor starts attacking the body and replicating itself until it takes over the entire organism and the organism can't function the way it's designed to and the organism can't live. Some of you aren't serving or have never served in any church because you're afraid that you have nothing to offer, right? You, you don't know what you could possibly do or say. And, 
or you've been discouraged from serving and contributing and helping in the past. And you just can't imagine that you can be helpful to other people. And so you're afraid. You think you're unworthy. Some of you, on the other hand, don't serve because of pride, because you think that the church isn't worth you, that the church isn't worth your time. The church isn't worth your resources and your energy and your effort. You have better things to do. You have more important things and people and places to see and organizations to attach yourself to. And like a cancer, God takes drastic measures to eradicate it and make it possible for his body to be healthy again. The Holy Spirit of God, like radiation therapy, like chemotherapy, like major surgery, goes into a body, goes into a system, and makes things worse so that they can eventually get better again. And some of you have been a part of religious institutions and churches where things got really unhealthy. And God, because he is a God of love, who disciplines the people he loves, and because he is the great physician, he goes in. And like, and like radiation and chemo, that even, if, if in, even eradicate good tissue so that they can get at the cancer itself to give the body an, a, a, a fighting chance, God does the same thing. He kind of disrupts everything to destroy what's unhealthy in you to destroy what's unhealthy in us. And some of you have been a part of churches where you've seen that ugliness. You've seen, you've seen the, the chaos of what God does when he shuts systems and organs down. And sometimes you leave because it hurts so much. And maybe you don't stay long enough to see the healing process. And I'm sorry for the way that you've been hurt. What is going to cure us of pride that destroys our ability to help one another be healthy? And what's going to cure us of fear that disrupts our ability to help one another become healthy is joy. Jesus talked, Jesus, we talked about joy last week, as Jesus said with the whole vine and the branches analogy that he would offer his disciples joy and that their joy would be complete, that they could have his joy. And that's what we need here to be a healthy body. We need Jesus's joy. Not only do we have to understand who we are in Christ, and not only do we have to embrace what Jesus has made us with each unique different gifts and abilities and experiences and perspectives. We need to rejoice in this. You have to, at some point, be able to rejoice in what God's given to you. The unique you that you are, you must rejoice in that. And then pride goes away and fear goes away. What was it that Paul has been highlighting? This is what one scholar said. When, when Paul is saying, um, each of you according to the measure of grace that God has given, each of you according to the measure of faith that God has given, 
One scholar says that that's the standard by which we estimate ourselves. We don't judge ourselves based on how well we serve or what our gifts look like or how successful we are when we serve one another. We judge ourselves against the standard of God's grace offered as a gift that we receive by faith. That's the standard. That's the measuring line. And we all have it. In Christ, everybody is saved by grace. How is it? How did Paul put it in Romans 3? Here's another part of, of his letter. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. That's the measuring line by which we judge ourselves. Jesus broke his body. Jesus spilled his blood. Jesus gave up his very life. Yes, his flesh and blood, his biological life, he gave it up. And his spiritual life, because he said to the father on the cross, why have you forsaken me? He gave all of that up to eradicate the cancer in humanity and to make you healthy again and to make us healthy. Faith and believing in God restoring all things, it's not just about God raising you from the dead. It's about God renewing this body of people and making us whole and healthy again. So you're a part of You're a part of this new body where we don't function in pride and we don't function in fear. You're growing up into this new healthy thing that Jesus is doing amongst us. And you don't have to be afraid of not matching up to other people. And if you're willing to trust Jesus, he will give you so much more than what you think you have now if you're willing to give yourself to the health of other people. We each, by grace through faith, have a useful role to to play. And the church is healthy and whole when all of us, when each of us, through faith, contribute to the health of the whole. So my encouragement to us today is for each of us to comprehend who we are In Jesus Christ, his grace. And to comprehend and embrace what he has made us. He's made us a unique, diverse lot of people. Comprehend who you are in Christ. You're forgiven. You're reconciled. You're righteous. Embrace what you are in Christ, a specific part of his body that he's designed to bless everyone else. And now rejoice in that, man. Rejoice in that, friends. And join us in this healing process as we become something healthy in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for designing your church with all of its weaknesses and challenges. Thank you for designing us just as you saw fit. Father, help us to embrace who we are because of your grace. Help us to embrace 
what we are as agents of your transforming grace in this world, to our community, to our families, and to our neighbors. And Father, fill us with your joy as you are using us to contribute to the health of the whole. For the sake of your son who shed his blood for us, who broke his body for us, and who rose from the dead to prove that complete health is our destiny. Amen.